Now I invite you to open up your Bibles with me to the book of Jeremiah. <clears throat> now, as I mentioned a week ago, my plan is to begin a new sermon series today on Jeremiah. Now, we won't be going through the whole book verse by verse like we did for Romans, but I do hope to spend enough time in Jeremiah together that we'll grow to appreciate not just this book, but hopefully all the prophetic books in the Old Testament more, which are perhaps the easiest books in the Bible to skip over. Okay, so as a church, it's been thinking back on this, we have done some teaching, preaching from the prophets, but not a whole lot. Okay, so as I, as I looked back <clears throat> through our sermon series, uh, and you'll get, you're getting a handout here, uh, so that's what's going on here, if you're wondering. <laughs> Uh, we'll look at that in a little bit. But, but as I was looking back through our sermon series from the last five years, we have preached on two small prophets. Does anyone have any idea which ones they are? Habakkuk, that was a long time ago. That was maybe your first Sunday with us. <coughs> first Sunday with us, yeah, I remember. Uh, back at Centennial Elementary School. And the other one, <coughs> the most memorable of all, are Zoom Sundays at the beginning of COVID uh, on the book of Jonah. In the book of Jonah. But those are both pretty small. Uh, but apart from working for, from, through those two prophetic books, we haven't done much else in this part of our Bibles. And let's be clear, this is a really big part of the Bible. Okay, I did some investigation into this. Okay? And if we take just the books that we typically think of as the Old Testament prophets, which would be like from Isaiah to Malachi, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, books like that, all the way to Malachi, those books, those prophetic books, make up over one-fourth of the Old Testament. And if you take it as a Bible as a whole, it's about one-sixth of the Bible are those Old Testament prophets. And yet, I think it's fair to say that this section of the Bible is the one we are least familiar with in the entire Bible. At least that's been the case for me. And if my conversations with several of you, I've been kind of surveying, the last couple of weeks, I think most of us would probably say the same thing. So my question is, why? Okay. Why don't we know much about these books? Why do we typically neglect them? And why don't churches typically teach from them? What do you think? Okay, so now Isaiah, Ezekiel, <coughs> Hosea, Amos, why don't we typically spend much time in those books? This is a tough question, and there are many possible answers or explanations, so I don't want to act as though I have all of the <coughs> insight on this, but here are three things that I think are pretty clear. Okay? First, we don't spend much time in the Old Testament prophets because some of them are really, really long. Okay? <coughs> Now, this is not true of Jonah or Haggai or Malachi. Those are short. That's why they're often called the minor prophets. But the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, are really, really long. Ezekiel has 48 chapters. Jeremiah has 52 chapters. Isaiah has 66 chapters. Okay, and it's not just that. Those chapters are really, really long. Okay? Now, while, now, while I'm talking about this, I need to clarify something from last week. Okay? Up until about two weeks ago, I had thought 
Jeremiah was the longest book in the Bible. I had been preparing to say that, you know, for this series. But then I read something like a week ago that said it was the second longest book in the Bible. And I didn't have time to verify that, so I, so I said that last week. But then it's been bothering me, you know, throughout the week. Like, is it the longest or the second longest, okay? I'm sure you've been in distress about this as well. So, so I decided to do my own research on this and to verify this, okay? So to, to set the record straight for the rest of this series, okay? If you go by the number of verses, okay, Psalms is by far the longest book. It's about 1,000 verses longer than any other book. In the Bible, okay. Also, if you go by the number of words in our English Bible, the ESV, Psalms is the longest book and Jeremiah is the second longest book, okay. But if you go by the number of words in the original language, like Hebrew in this case, Jeremiah is the longest book in the Bible. That's why there was debate. It beats out... Genesis by about 1,000 and Psalms by about 2,000 words. So that's what I'm going to go with because I like saying that. This is the longest book in the Bible. Hey, but my point here right now is simply that one reason we aren't very familiar with the Old Testament prophets is that some of them are just really, really long. I mean, just think about this. Let's suppose you read a chapter a day. Okay, maybe that's like your thing. Maybe you heard as a kid, you know, chapter a day keeps temptation away. Okay, so you've always been reading a chapter, okay? To read Isaiah at that rate takes you over two months if you read every day, you know, not missing any days, okay? Still takes over, over two months. And that's just to read it one time. I think, how much would you really know it after reading that one time? What about preaching or teaching from a book like that? I mean, what does a sermon series on a 66-chapter book or a 52-chapter book look like? And I'm going to share some of my own story with Jeremiah, why I picked it next week. But my point so far is just the length of these books can be a barrier for us, from, keep us from reading them, and definitely keep churches from, from teaching them. But here's where we need to be honest, okay? Because that sounds like a, a legitimate, you know, excuse or reason, okay? But the truth is, the length of the books is not the only reason we tend to neglect them. After all, Psalms is really long, too. But, um, and even if we don't know Psalms as well as we might want to, I am confident we know Psalms better than Ezekiel. And we might need to keep this quiet, but I wouldn't be surprised if we actually like Psalms more than Ezekiel. Is it okay to say that? Yeah. I was talking with my family just yesterday. I asked, why don't people read the prophets? I won't say who said this, but one of the, maybe they were just talking about other people, but one of the first answers was, they're boring. <laughs> you know? I mean, is that, is that fair? Like, th- that we might actually like reading other books more than these books. And similarly, I would say, without a doubt, we know Genesis better than we know Jeremiah, even though they're almost the same size. Why is that? You see, there has to be something more to why we neglect them than just that they're long. But what is that? Why don't we spend much time in the prophets? I want to give two other reasons. Okay? The, we probably don't spend much time in the prophets because they are hard to know what to do with. Okay? They are hard to apply. It is very easy to read through Jeremiah, for example, 
and to find yourself asking repeatedly, what does any of that have to do with us? Sure, there are occasional verses, like when you're reading Jeremiah, where you're like, that one I should put on my wall, you know, <laughs> or on my purse. <laughs> like, for, like Jeremiah 29, 11, you know. Yeah, that's like the one verse maybe people know from Jeremiah. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That is an awesome verse. But even then, if you actually were reading the book when you came across that verse, instead of just pulling it out, it would probably raise at least some question in your mind about how that verse actually relates to people in Minnesota today. But most of the verses in Jeremiah aren't like that one. They're not memorable Verses like that. Instead, what you hear in Jeremiah is a lot more of Jeremiah calling people out for sin. Uh, A whole bunch of it. Or a whole bunch of judgment and threats of judgment. I mean, that's what you're going to hear a lot more of. And that's not even to mention the reality that Jeremiah is preaching these messages in a very faraway place a very long time ago, like 2,600 years ago. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, if you read the book, you'll be struck by how heartfelt the messages are. I mean, you're not going to read Jeremiah and think like, oh, he doesn't really care or anything. Like, you, you read Jeremiah and you think, man, this guy loved God and loved his people. He wept for these people. His heart for them is obvious in the book, but that still doesn't mean it's easy to connect it to our life. Like, you might be impressed by that. Like, wow, he really cared about them. But that doesn't mean... It's easy to make the connection from what he was saying in his day to them to what God is saying through him still to us today. In fact, when we're reading the prophets, I think we're probably happy sometimes just if we can find some little nugget, something, you know, that we can just remember and we'll just call it good and walk away, you know, go to the next, go to the next thing. I mean, sometimes we might be content just to be like, you know, if you don't look really closely at what that says... That applies to my life this week. Now, I'm joking a bit, but I I hope you get my my point. If we're honest, the reason we don't spend much time in the prophets isn't just that they're long. One of the big reasons we struggle with them is we don't know what to do with them. And that's one of my hopes is that this series will help us with that as we go through different parts of Jeremiah and we try to think through what does this actually have to do with us. But there's one more reason I think we tend to neglect the prophets And in in my opinion, I think this is the biggest barrier to getting into the prophets. And and so we probably don't spend much time in them because the prophets are hard to understand. They're very hard to follow. Or to put it another way, it's very easy to be completely lost in the prophets, like more than in any other part of the Bible, I think. If you've ever read Jeremiah, you'll know what I mean. Because of all the prophets, I think Jeremiah is the hardest to follow. But why exactly are the prophets so hard to understand? Have you ever thought about that? For example, I don't think that people in their own day couldn't understand what the prophets were saying. In fact, I think they understood very clearly what Jeremiah was saying. They just didn't want to listen to it. That was their problem. It was not that he was hard to follow. They knew exactly what he was saying. They just didn't want to listen to it. So why do we have such a hard time understanding the prophets? Why is it so easy to be completely lost in the prophets? 
Like you can read, sometimes you find yourself reading a couple chapters and be like, I have no idea what that was talking about. That, that happens more, I think, in the prophets than any other part of the Bible. Now, why is that? Well, there are a lot of reasons, I'm sure, but to try to put it plainly, I think it has to do with the challenge of keeping these three things in your head when you read them. One, when those prophets were living. Two, where they were serving. Like, who were they talking to? And then three, what was going on in the world around them during their ministry? It's really hard to keep those three things in your head when you read the prophets. So in other words, there's a very steep learning curve with the prophets that there isn't really with many other books in the Bible. It's a lot easier, for example, to read the stories of the Old and the New Testament than it is to read and understand the prophets. For example, even if I say, you know, the book of Numbers, and you, and you might think, I don't know much about the book of Numbers either. If you started to read the book of Numbers, if you just stuck with it for a little while, you'll start to understand it. Even if you don't know much about it right now, you just stick with it, read it once or twice, you'll start to understand it, and you'll actually be really interested in it. Great stories. Even if you didn't have background with it. But you could read the same prophet over and over and over again, and you'll still probably be lost. If you don't have some other knowledge of like, who was this guy? When was he living? What was going on? Where was he? Who was he talking to? Like, There's a learning curve with the prophets that we don't have when we read other books of the Bible. And so to illustrate this with Jeremiah, I want you to look at the first verses of Jeremiah. Okay, so Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now, this is actually on that handout, uh, too, but you can look at it here. Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. There's your intro to the book. Now, to be honest, does that mean much of anything to you when you read that? Okay. Like you read the, that's the intro to the book. Does that mean much to you? I'll tell you, understanding those three verses is really important to understanding the rest of the book. That's why they're the first three verses. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that if you can understand those three verses, that everything else in Jeremiah will just be like, ah, oh, it's all obvious now. <laughs> that is not, that is not what, what happens. But what I am saying is that if you read those verses and they don't mean much to you at all, that's a barrier that you're going to have when you try to read and understand the book. We'll be far more likely to get lost in the book if we can't make any sense out of that. Because the author is trying to help us at the very beginning 
make sense of when Jeremiah lived, of where he was ministering, and of what was going on around him in his life. But like I said, there's a steep learning curve to get that in your head. It's not easy to make sense of that kind of stuff. That wasn't hard for the original hearers because they were all living through it. They didn't need any of this. Like they, They knew. They were there. They were actually listening to him. They saw the other nations. They saw, they knew who was king or what was happening in the kingdom. But this is one of the biggest challenges for us. And so here's where I want to encourage us with two things. It is possible to learn that stuff. You can do it. And I want to help you today with that. That is my biggest goal today. The rest of today is to try to help us specifically with this stuff. Okay? So that's why you have this handout. Um, from that was handed out earlier. If you didn't get one, you can put your hand up. We'll get it to you. But I don't want to just give it out. Okay, I want to actually work through it today with you. And my hope is that it will be something you keep in your Bibles throughout the next couple of weeks at least as I plan to come back to this throughout this series. And I should also give a special shout-out to my daughter, Nesha, for working really hard this weekend to translate that into Spanish. And so our, if you needed a Spanish one, hopefully you got that as well. <clears throat> now, there are two sides to this handout, and I don't like using page numbers. So look first at the side that says a basic timeline of the history of Israel. Okay. Now, what that side is talking about is that is the main story of the Old Testament, all the way from Abraham to the exile. So from Abraham in Genesis 12 to the end of the book of Jeremiah. Okay, and I want to I walk through some of that with you. Okay, so you take a look at that. This may be super familiar to you. This may not be familiar to you. Okay. But you see, time of Abraham, Isaac, <coughs> and Jacob. Something like 2000 BC, you know, 4,000 years ago. And you can follow... On the right, you can see where that's talked about in the Bible. That would be most of the story of Genesis. Okay? And then Genesis ends with Joseph down in Egypt, and all of his family comes down, and he saves them down there. And then they spend the next 400 years down in Egypt, and they end up becoming slaves. And then they cry out to the Lord, And what does God do? God raises up Moses to lead them out of Egypt. And we call that the Exodus. That happened around 1450 BC. And then they, they come out through the Red Sea. And they're on their way to the promised land, to the land of Canaan. And then they rebel against the Lord. They don't really believe that God can take them in. And so... God condemns that whole generation to wander around in the wilderness until they all die. It takes like 40 years. And then a new generation comes under the leadership of Joshua, and they're able to go into the land and win the land. And then after Joshua, you have the terrible time of the judges, which we've been hearing about whenever Phil preaches. The judges last all the way until the time of Samuel the prophet. 
And then eventually Samuel anoints the very first king of Israel. Who was the first king of Israel? King Saul. And for three kings, the kingdom is together. For Saul, for David, and for Solomon. Okay, those three kings, you can read about their stories in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, <clears throat> first half of 1 Kings. But at the end of Solomon's life, what happens? Do you know what happens to him? A guy who started out really well, who had more privilege than anybody else ever had, who was a king, he ended up as an idolater at the end of his life. <clears throat> and his, he dies... And God tells him, before he dies even, that the kingdom's going to be divided. And so then you have <clears throat> two guys, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and another guy named Jeroboam, who end up under the, the, the kingdom ends up splitting. Ten tribes go north, the northern tribes, they're now called Israel from that point on. They go with Jeroboam. His first act is to build two golden calves to worship. So you can tell, okay? If you don't know anything about the Northern Kingdom, three letters, B-A-D. Everything is bad in the Northern Kingdom. You can read about that from 1 Kings 12 to 2 Kings 17, but it is always the same story. It's just a matter of if anybody is worse than the previous person. That's the only question. They're all bad. But in the South, that's where David's family still is. You have Judah and Benjamin. Those are the two tribes down South, and the kings are up and down. And you'll notice, if you look carefully, that the, the northern kingdom, Israel, lasts about 200 years before they're destroyed by Assyria. But the southern kingdom, Judah, where David's family is still on the throne, they last a good another 100 plus years past the northern kingdom. Okay? And that's where you have some good kings, especially a king like Josiah. Okay, now, you can turn it over to the other side. Okay, maybe that was all super familiar to you. Maybe it wasn't. Okay, but this series, this study is going to be focused on the book of Jeremiah. Okay, so on the other side, it's all about, it's like zooming in on Jeremiah and how he relates to that story. Okay, <clears throat> so you can take a look at the top page or the top of that page and you'll see the same three verses we read which we just read, and for most of us, they probably didn't mean much. Okay? In the days of this person, and this person, this person. Okay. Now, let's, let's take a look at this. Okay? On the one side, which would be the left side, it just gives you the story of Jeremiah's life. Just Jeremiah. Okay? So he's born around 645 B.C., and then he's called to preach while he's still a teenager. So when you read Jeremiah chapter 1... He's going to be like complaining to the Lord, I'm like too young. I don't know how to do this. But God, called, God had, had actually prepared him from his mother's womb. And then he calls Jeremiah to the ministry as a teenager. Jeremiah does not feel ready for it. <clears throat> okay. So around 626. And then about 20 years later, God specifically tells him to write down what he's been preaching for the last 20 years. So this is an interesting book in that it actually tells you, Jeremiah says, God told me to write this stuff down. So he writes down what he had been doing the last 20 years, and he continues to write what he preaches. 
and then I'm just plotting the big picture of Jeremiah's life, about, after about 40 years of ministry, in 585, he gets taken captive, but not to Babylon, where most of the people get taken. He gets taken captive by his own people to Egypt, and he probably dies there. Okay? And then the last chapter in Jeremiah is actually written by somebody else, and it's later. <coughs> it, it records, it's 37 years into the exile, the last chapter of the book. Okay? Now, I want to look at the other side, and I just highlight like, what's going on in Judah in the south during this time. So the first thing I wrote is about this guy, Manasseh. You'll notice he reigned for 55 years. He, he was probably still king when Jeremiah was born, and he was horrible, like maybe the worst one they ever had, 55 years. He did stuff like sacrificing his children to false gods. He was horrible, and what he did shaped the future of Judah. Like it shaped their character and it shaped their destiny. But then, a couple years later, his grandson became king at eight years old, named Josiah. Josiah, if, I, if this is, I'm thinking Jeremiah was like five, and Josiah was eight. And Josiah, his, the grandson of Manasseh, was entirely different than Manasseh. He loved God. And so for Jeremiah's first part of his life, he had maybe the best king they ever had, maybe even better than David. And about 20 years in, this shows you how bad things were in Judah, about 20 years into Josiah's reign in 622, they're rummaging around the temple, and somebody comes across a copy of the Law of Moses. They have lost it. They, it, no one even knew where it was. Josiah had never read it. And he reads it. And for the rest of his life, he gives his entire heart to obeying God's laws and to rooting out all of the sin in Judah that have led them to such desperate times. But then <clears throat> Josiah gets involved in a political thing, probably makes, maybe makes a political miscalculation, and he goes out to confront this Egyptian pharaoh, and he gets killed. And if you, you can read about this in other books, Jeremiah writes a lament song at that time for Josiah. I think he saw what was going to happen, that with the death of Josiah, everything would unravel. And that's exactly what happened. None of Josiah's sons cared about the Lord or the law. And so in the midpoint of Jeremiah's ministry, it goes from being incredible where you have like this great king. Sure, the people were tough to work with, but the king was behind you, heart and soul. To the rest of his life, nobody liked him, basically. Nobody would listen to him. And that's how he spends the second half of his life. Babylon then comes in, takes captives, eventually takes captive the king of Judah, Jehoiachin, Jehoiachin, and then eventually the people just keep rebelling against Babylon, and Babylon in 587 comes in and just destroys Jerusalem, burns the temple to the ground, and Jeremiah gets taken to Egypt. Okay, so that, that's basically the story of the history, both of Jeremiah's life 
and of what happened in Judah. Okay? Now, I know that can seem maybe fairly academic, but that is not my aim here. Okay? My aim in that is I want us to be able to enter into the story of Jeremiah more to make better sense of his sorrows and his tears, of his disappointments, to hear more clearly his prophetic voice, and then hopefully hear more powerfully the voice of God, which still speaks through these words to us all these years later. And so I want to close with a couple words of application. And first thing is I want to encourage you with these four words. Take up and read. (laughs) Now, some of you might know that those four words are actually from a famous story of St. Augustine (laughs) a long time ago. Augustine tells this story that that as an unbeliever, he heard those four words repeatedly from some child somewhere saying, take up and read, take up and read. And he took those words as God's word to him, and he picked up the Bible and he read it, and that led him to faith in Christ. And so I just take those words, take up and read. Maybe you can remember that. that that's my first challenge. Pick up the book of Jeremiah and read it. And second, I want to encourage us over the next couple months to study this book in community. Okay? Not, I'm not saying don't read it on your own, but like nobody here probably knows Jeremiah that well. Okay? So maybe sometimes you feel like, you know, I don't think I have much to share because everybody knows more than me about the Bible. I doubt there's anybody in here who thinks of themselves as a Jeremiah expert, including me. I definitely do not consider myself that. So this is a great opportunity for us to all read the book and ask the questions. Because you don't have to feel dumb about asking any You should never feel dumb about asking questions about the Bible. But it's definitely not with Jeremiah, because everybody else probably has the same questions. We're all trying to figure it out. And to share what God is teaching you, what God is convicting you about, what's encouraging to you as you read the book, because this is a chance for us to study a part of the Bible we've probably neglected. And, and then related to that, what I want to encourage us with is just have you ever considered the hidden treasures that we have yet to discover. For many, if not most of us today, even if you've been a believer for a long time, there is a very large portion of our Bibles that we have hardly explored. Could it be that there is hidden treasure waiting for us in fields that we've never dug into yet? I, for one, am convinced that there are resources for us in the prophets that we have yet to tap into. And so my hope is that you will take up and read. And then over the next, and this is where I'll close today. Over the next few weeks, we'll get to know Jeremiah, the man, better, better than we know him now. But I want to close with something that everybody could understand and agree with. And that is that Jeremiah, the man, never got to see the fulfillment of the predictions that he made. See, the main thing Jeremiah did was preach. He preached and preached, and the truth is that few, if anyone, listened to what he had to say. (coughs) But Jeremiah also did more than preach. From time to time, Jeremiah would speak of days still to come, of a future day, when God would do something new, 
something better than what he saw in his disappointing life. He spoke of days to come, better days when God would bring the people back, when God would establish a new covenant, one far better than the old one, one where all of God's people would actually know the Lord and have the forgiveness of their sins. He spoke of days to come when God would raise up for King David, who had been dead a long time, a righteous branch, a new and better son of David, one even better than Josiah, a king who would reign in righteousness, whose name, Jeremiah says, would be, the Lord is our righteousness. Jeremiah lived, he suffered, and he died, and he never got to see the fulfillment of those promises. And yet he kept believing, he kept trusting, and he served all the way until his death. And that's what caught the attention of the author of Hebrews, about him and about most of the prophets. Do you remember that reading earlier? You just think of it, how it relates to Jeremiah. This is from Hebrews 11. The author's like, what more can I tell you? It would, time fails me to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel and all the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness. Women received back their dead. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. You read the story of Jeremiah. He was given the chance to go to Babylon and live out his days because Babylon appreciated him. And he chose as an older man not to go. And it led to him being taken captive to Egypt, where he would be mistreated. They were stoned, mocked, flogged. Some were sawn in two. Some were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, I love the phrase, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In some ways, we have already seen what Jeremiah longed for and never got to see. Why is that? It's because all of his predictions and prophecies found their fulfillment in Jesus. And we stand today on the other side of history. Jesus has already come. The new covenant has already been inaugurated. The blood of the spotless lamb has already been spilt. And our sins can finally be washed away. All of God's precious promises have found their yes in Jesus, the one that Jeremiah longed for. But in other ways, we're still waiting for what Jeremiah promised. We're still waiting for the return of the king, for the day when Jesus comes again to reign in righteousness with us at his side, living with him in a new and far better land, a land where righteousness dwells and where justice reigns. And so with that in mind, may we leave here not simply looking back in faith to what Jesus has done, but also looking forward like Jeremiah with hope in Jesus for all that still lies ahead. Father, would you take this study today 
just an investment, I pray, in the next weeks, but also not just for us when we gather together. I pray that this today will help us as a church to read your word, to read the prophets. And I pray that we would hear your voice speaking into our lives through these prophetic words. And I pray that you will grow us and strengthen us and help us to be able to think more clearly about our world today, about Jesus, about what he did, about what he is still to do. And I pray that you will encourage us. And I pray that it will even be a joy for us as we, as we all go through the experience of, of learning, reading, studying a book that we probably just don't know that well right now. I pray that that will bring us together and bind our hearts even more together. We thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.